With Andre Sekera lost for a few months after tearing his Achilles tendon this summer, the Edmonton Oilers have signed free agent defenseman Jacob Jarabek to fill his spot, at least a training camp, where the NHL team will see who stands out and deserves that sixth spot on the blue line. Prospects Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, and the Oilers' most recent first-round pick, Evan Bouchard, will also likely be in the mix. Is adding Jarabek the right move? I'm Derek Van Deest. I'm Rob Tuchkowski. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to Rob and Derek about the Oilers' signing of Jarabek, and also about the team bringing in free agent forward Scotty Upshaw on a professional tryout, about when we might see the Oilers and defenseman Darnell Nurse come to terms on a new contract, and on the likely eventual unveiling of the team's new alternate jersey. Of course they're going to bring back the blue one, right? This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, August 28th, 2018. Is it Jakob Jerebek or Jakob Jerebek or a variation on the two? I think it's. I don't know if it's. If it's. We me, should I come think. to a consensus at least for this podcast. It should either be Jakob Jarabek or Jakob Jarabek. Let's be. Let's be all English speaking about it and, and pronounce the J. Okay. And then when he comes in September and we figure out the pronunciation, we'll go with that later. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah, you're it'll right. still be yeah, spelled the same way. Yeah, we just have to worry about spelling and writers. Yeah. Okay, so Jake Jarubic. Yeah. Jake Jarubic. Jake <laughs> Jarubic. <laughs> exactly. Your suggested headline the other day was Jurabic Park, yeah. Parks in Edmonton or something. So I thought, oh, is it pronounced like that? You got to talk to the guy, right? Yeah, the, that's one of the first things you ask when he gets to town is, how do you say your name? And then it's always different than what, what people had thought. Yeah, it's always different than the pronunciation guide, yeah. But. So the orders signed him to a $1 million one-year contract, you know, about a week after they announced Andre Sakura was being, is lost for a few months because he tore his Achilles and had surgery. Now, I don't. I remember somebody put a big long list of available defensemen, recognizable names. Jerebek wasn't one of them at the time, but he did play in the NHL last year for a couple of different teams. You know, a sixth, seventh defenseman in Montreal and Washington. Do you guys know much about him? Probably not, because you don't watch the Capitals or the Canadians on the regular. But what have you heard? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that you, you know, you're not even sure who he is until the name comes up. Then you start doing a little, uh, a little investigating, and, and I, he's one of those guys that you know he's only been around for a cup of coffee, thirty some odd games. So from that perspective, there's still a lot of room to grow for him. You know, there's you know the others are taking another gamble on one of these sort of uh, you know low rent uh, risks that they've done in the past. Every year they bring in a few of these guys and hope that one of them hits and he could be that guy. Like he played a little bit in Washington. They're, they're a good team and they have a decent blue line and he, he got a little bit of work there. And it was his first taste of the National Hockey League. He's about 27 so he, like he's not a kid but he still has some upside in this league. So I know year two you'd think is where you know he's got a little bit of experience. He's got to look at it. He's had some a couple of playoff games. You know, Give him a summer to you know to to work on some things and, and see what you get when he returns to camp. Like there, there, a there weren't a lot of big names out there to get, and b they can't afford them anyway. So this is what they have to do, and this is uh, I, I guess you would call an acceptable risk. And if, if it doesn't work out, then you then you still have some you know a fairly significant hole there with Sekera being out. But this is a guy that 
you know, if you look at it from Shirelli's perspective, there is potential for some upside there. Yeah, this I think this is a guy that the owners have to target right now, considering where they are salary cap wise. And this is a player he played in two world championships for the Czech Republic, so he can't be that bad of a player. You know, he's got to have some talent to be able to play on that on that Czech Republic yeah. team at the world championship. So um, I think they are taking a flyer on him. They're taking a gamble, and and they, they need some depth on that blue line. They don't have a lot of depth. So now that was really kind of highlighted when Sekera went down. Now as soon as Sekera went down, the season hasn't even started, and all of a sudden you're in, you're in panic stations because, yeah. oh, my God, they were counting on him to log so many of these minutes, and now they don't have anyone to step in. I think this does open the door for a guy like Caleb Jones or you know a guy like Ethan Bear mm-hmm. to maybe have an opportunity to make the roster and play some meaningful minutes in the NHL. But that I don't think that was the plan going in, and I think the Oilers really were hurt last year when Sekera went down. So I think last year the plan was, okay, Sekera's down. He probably won't be back for a few months. We'll see if we can fill those void that void internally, and they couldn't. So I think now Peter Shirley's trying to look outside the box and uh, you know try and find whatever he can to try and replace Sekera. And I think this is one of those guys that he's hoping can not necessarily replace him in the lineup, but can take up some of those minutes. I mean, that's what the orders basically did last year too, when Sekera was out to begin the season by signing Johan Ovitu as well. Although that was his first foray into. No, wait a second. He isn't. He was in the same situation as uh, Yerbeck is now, or Jerebek, sorry, because um, he had played New Jersey mm-hmm. the year before. So I guess it's always a gamble when you're just spending, you know, only a million dollars to see what this guy can do. Maybe he'll get lucky. Yeah, I think so. But I think he, Peter Shirley still might target a bigger fish out mm-hmm. there. I think he's still looking for maybe a veteran guy that can come in and, and kind of settle down that group because you've – you can say that last year by not doing enough, not by just getting OV2 and not doing enough and hoping those holes, those voids would be filled internally, and it didn't happen, you have, an, you have the exact same situation presented yeah. to you the year after. You can't approach it the same way because it didn't work out last year, so you have to approach it differently. And if he approaches it the same way, and this is obviously the, the same way that he did last year, and it doesn't work out again, then you know they're going to say, well, you made the same mistake twice. How can That may be unforgivable, especially if the Oilers don't make the playoffs. Yeah, and if, you, if you're missing one of your top three defensemen and you don't fill that hole, then it makes everybody worse because you get guys beneath him that are taking on more responsibility and more minutes than they should be taking on at this stage of their career or at any stage of their career. And we saw with Justin, with a player like Justin Schultz years ago, it's a different situation, but if you give a good player too much, he, he's going to fail. So... They have to be really be careful uh, about letting that spot just sit there uh, all year like they did last year because their defense wasn't good last season, and it was because everybody was playing a little bit above themselves. I think they need to fill that spot, and maybe when they can park Sekera's money on LTIR, you know, when the season starts, they can they might have a little flexibility. But you know, if, even in a trade, that's difficult because if you give up a good forward you're robbing Peter to pay Paul then suddenly you've got a massive gap up front so uh, they have their work cut out for them definitely so they're crossing their fingers that maybe this uh, this player can you know overachieve like they're counting on so many other players on that roster to do well I think this presents an interesting dilemma to Peter Shirelli because as we've we've said before he's playing for one year at a time yeah. he doesn't have the luxury of, of missing the playoffs this, this year and maybe next year and he's not looking long term so if I'm Peter Shirelli and I, I don't have a long-term plan because I may not be around here long-term, do you trade a Caleb Jones, an Ethan Bear, 
at the beginning of the season to get a defenseman that can take Sekra's spot because they will have Sekra's money once they put him on long-term IR. And I think that is something that the Oilers have to be really careful with. And and whoever's calling the shots above Peter Shirley yeah. have to be careful that he doesn't mortgage the future to try and save his own bacon this year because he knows that if the playoffs aren't attainable this year, I think I think if he misses by a point or two, that could save his job. But I think if he's out by January, yeah. that whole staff is gone. Yeah, if this is last year all over again, yeah, this that's there'll be a massive house cleaning. Absolutely, and and probably there should be. So the temptation to, you know, have this scorched earth policy where you just give up the entire future to 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 get it to, together right now is tempting and also very dangerous. Right, you're looking at another seven eight years of, of barren wasteland if it doesn't work. That's always the the dance, right? That's the gamble every time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, geez, what if you do something or you don't do something? You get lucky with, you know, one of your prospects really shines in camp and can step in and play that role at a young age, which is, you know, logically going into camp or you don't expect that. You don't expect Ethan Bear or Evan Bouchard, heaven forbid, being able to all of a sudden play in the NHL at their young age. Um, You can't rely on surprises at the end of the day. So, anyways, moving on. All right. Next topic. Hear this? That's the topic sheets. It's not that long. It is, you know, end of August and all that jazz. You know, I was going to ask the long-term injury uh, reserve. Mm-hmm. Why can't – Is the the rules are you can't put them on it now. You have to wait until some well, point I, during I, the season or well, the beginning of the season. Well, I don't think the players start getting paid until the season starts. Isn't right. that a, that's a handcuff, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, to some extent. I mean, you know that it's that it's coming. They just You can't start the season $10 million over the thing oh, because yeah. saying somebody's on LTIR. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to suggest, you know, that the, you know, they, should, they should change the rules. This is – I mean, I don't know. That, that's – how much is Sekiro making? Five, six million bucks? Yeah, he's five and a half, four and a half. Yeah, I think something like that. So I think I think what they can do is, well, technically you have to be under salary by the time the season starts. So they can still kind of look around once the season, a certain date, once camp opens, whatever. You can start putting guys on long term IR and things like that. But I think in that sense, they do have his money to spend, so that won't be a problem. They do have his money to spend, and I'm sure if they do go out and look for a deal it just won't be consummated till the season starts or, so, or whatever however it works a little late in the summer to be landing big fish like yeah. they're all they're all gone like yeah all the free engines are gone yeah. so he's gonna have to make a trade if he wants to fill that role um and he's probably you know if there is a trade to be made he's probably already starting talking trade well it sounds Who like Eric carlson's available again. yeah <laughs> so there's talk that you know what would it take and, and i think we've, we've talked about this before and i know jim mathis has said you move heaven and earth to try and get Eric Carlson, but you don't want to mortgage your entire future yeah. uh, on one player who becomes a rest- unrestricted free agent in a year. So if you're going to trade for him, you, you have to make sure that, yeah, he will be signing with you yeah. long and term. And I think that's probably the sticking point right now because... And, uh, yeah, I don't think he's big on Canada from, no. from what I heard. He doesn't want to play in, in Canada. Although with the Boom. way the United States is going right now, I'd be far away from there as I could get. Yeah, but I think that's one of the problems with... Ottawa's asking for all this for Carlson, but no one's going to give him that if he's only going to be on your team yeah. for a year and then then take off. So yeah, that's a, that's the sticking point with yeah, that trade. That's a bad spot. Scotty Upshaw is coming to Oilers camp on a tryout. Um, here's my list again. <laughs> that's what we do in August. We list things like this. Yeah. You know, can you explain why they're bringing him? What what could he bring? 
that others already under contract uh, can't offer. Uh, he's some some leadership, some energy, some experience. Uh, he supposedly plays. You know, he's got a good chemistry going with Kyle Brodziak from their St. Louis days. So suddenly you've got you know two thirds of a fourth line if he works out. But uh, again, he's like he's like the the guys on defense. The others are in this situation right now where they're they're kind of nibbling around the edges trying to address all of their problems. And, and this is very similar to what happened last year. You got. You know, you bring in Mike Camilleri, you bring in UC Jokinen, you bring in Johanna Vitu, and these are low, you know, you don't pay them a whole lot of money. There's low risk, and hopefully one of these guys hits. And more often than not, they don't, but, you know, maybe there's some potential for some upside. He's he's an area guy. He's, you know, from, from Alberta. Uh, he knows Brodziak, like I said. I'm sure he's excited about being here, so you probably get the best out of Scotty Upshaw that you're going to get. And, you know, you're not asking too much from him, right? Some... You know, some special teams, some energy, some some life in the dressing room, and uh, you know, and take it from there, right? I mean, if and if camp comes and he's not what you thought, you can just walk away for nothing. So it's it's kind of zero risk from that perspective. Yeah, and I think Scotty Upshaw was a guy that the Oilers basically were looking to acquire back when uh, Steve Tamalini was the GM, yeah. and I think they had a deal on the table for him for Sheldon Surrey. And I think it was just at the last second it was it was wiped out yeah. or something like that. From my understanding that Upshaw was asked to waive his no trade clause, he did, and the deal was on the table. They were ready to go, and then at the last minute, Steve Tambolini decided to back out. Obviously, that didn't work very well because <laughs> I think Surrey broke his hand a week and a half later or something like that. Um, but this is a guy. One of the things that the Oilers lacked last season was leadership, and and you could really tell, and, and, and you know, they had the rumors of that division in the dressing room for whatever happened with Dreisaitl. Mm. There was those rumors, and, and there wasn't a leader to take charge. It wasn't a guy to take charge like Matt Hendricks was in that red dressing room to take charge. Matt Hendricks couldn't have, didn't play a minute in the playoffs, but the Oilers, a lot of them said he was probably one, their MVP of the playoff <laughs> run because just the way he took charge in that dressing room. And I think the Oilers underestimated the value of that. They, I think they probably thought that Connor McDavid would be able to inherit that role and be the leader, but I don't think a lot of go, guys go to Connor McDavid for advice. They don't go to Connor McDavid to, to ask him, well, what should we do about this? What should we do about that? And I think that's a little too much to ask Connor McDavid to do, apart from all he does on the ice. Now you're going to ask him to make team decisions on behalf of the team and, and and it's small decisions that sometimes they have to make is where to eat and where to like on the road what to do when to leave when to practice things like that that you go to your veteran leadership core and you ask and they make that decision for you a lot of coaches will allow the leaders to make some of those decisions maybe when it comes to practice times or when when they think it's best to fly out on things like that and i think that may have been a little too much for mm-hmm. Connor mcdavid to take on so I think they're trying to bring in some veteran leaders that can help out in that regard. And I know that's why Brodzik was here, and it may be that they think that, okay, if Scotty Opshaw can be up here and kind of be that glue guy in the dressing room if he can still play and give us some fourth-line minutes and give us some good time and be that the 13th forward in the, in the press box every now and then, he can be of use. Um, but I think Scotty Opshaw, it'll depend on how much game he has left because it's impress- it's incredible to me how quickly your game drops off in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, one, he's 34. Yeah, right? and he's 34. So one day you're you're there at 32. You can keep up. You can keep up. And then next year, suddenly the game is too fast for you, and, and you can't keep up, and, and you're behind everything. And in this game, it's all about being able to, to keep up and being in, in the right place at the right time. 
And so it's amazing how quickly that drops off. So if he still has some game, I think he has some value to the Edmonton Oilers. But if his game has dropped off and it's too fast and the puck is going up and down the ice and he just can't keep up, then you're right. The Oilers have nothing to lose by bringing him in uh, on a, on a mm-hmm. pro tryout and see if, if he still has a game because I think he is. He would be a good influence in that dressing room, and the Oilers need more veteran influences in that dressing room. Yeah, that leadership thing is it can't be ignored. Like I mean, Connor McDavid is is a, is a wonderful captain, but it's hard for a 19, 20-year-old guy who's been in the league for a couple of years to be to be calling out people in the dressing room who are 26, 27 years old, or you know even people of his own age. And 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 you know he's generally a, a quiet guy. I think that. He's heading towards that very quickly now, and he's got some he's got some stuff on his resume now. You know, he's a two-time Art Ross. He's a Hart Trophy winner. He was voted by his peers to be the best player in the league two years in a row. You know, that will embolden a player. It'll give him a voice. I think he'll be able to very soon. You know, this year, maybe next year, be in that room and say, "Listen, hey, I'm Connor McDavid. Listen, listen, I'm talking to you right now." And and you need that. And I don't know if they had it yet. I I, I hope it's coming. And they were also hoping for it from Milan Lucic, but it's hard to be that guy when you're slumping terribly, right? You can't look at somebody else and tell them how things are going to be when you can't get your own game together. So leadership last year was a, was a big issue on a lot of fronts. And, you know, if, if you know, McDavid can take that step forward, if Lucic is better and guys like Upshaw can really help with, uh, with the chemistry and getting everybody pulling in the same direction, it'll, it'll make a big difference. I think one of the things that really surprised me when, when we were on the road with the team, like when we would fly with the charter and we would stay in the same hotels, is how often coaches went to the leadership group to make decisions. Coaches just didn't make decisions on their own. Like they went to the, I remember the leadership group at that time was Ethan Morrow and yeah. Steve Steos and, and Jason Smith and those guys. And I, I remember Craig McTavish going to them all the time making decisions as in what time do you, should we have dinner like do you guys need to work out what time should we do this what time should we do that should we fly out tonight or do, we, do you guys want to stay the night over and I remember the, the, the one time the plan was to stay overnight in Nashville uh, and after the orders had won they were going to stay overnight in Nashville so we were pretty excited about that and then McTavish went to the leadership group and they said no nah, let's just go home and so I think a lot of the players were disappointed because the six leaders said, no, we're going home back to our home park to our families. And all the young guys wanted to stay in Nashville an extra night. But those are the kind of things that, that, that happen. And I think that's a lot to put on a young guy like Connor McDavid, a young guy like Leon Dreisaitl, some of those younger guys in the room to make those decisions. And I think some of those younger guys in the room look at their coaches and go, well, that's your job. That's mm-hmm. not my job. But it's, it's, it's a, a good coach is – it's a teamwork thing, and he will go to this leadership core and try get try and, and and kind of work things out with them. And I think that was one of the issues last year is that when they if if they did, I'm not sure Todd McClellan did or not, but if they did, you know, I'm sure Connor McDavid shrugged his shoulder and says, "I don't care, yeah, do whatever, do yeah. whatever you want." And I think that's that's an issue because the players have to have a voice in, in some of the decisions being made. Oh, I remember that lots. You'd be sitting on the charter, and you know, it'd be a you know, one in the morning or whatever, you're going to or from wherever you're going in the middle of a road trip or on the way back. And, you know, Ethan Morrow would walk up to the front of the plane and sit next to McTavish and they'd have this long discussion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, y- y- y'all, everybody knows what's happening. It's like, you know, can we, can we not practice tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So we're, we're all kind of watching and like, you know, cheering for Morrow because we could, you know, be like a day <laughs> off too. And then, yeah. you know, McTavish would be like, you know, you guys need to practice. And, you know, and Morrow would be like, you know, I know, but the guys also need a break. And, you know, they'd be back and forth for a few minutes and then, you know, Morrow would get up and walk back to the to the plane and then we'd kind of we'd wait a few minutes and the PR guy would be like okay yeah no skate tomorrow guys <laughs> like, yeah, all right yeah way to go Ethan and that's that's kind of the di- the dynamic of how it works right so you you also have to have a guy who's willing to 
because McClellan's very regimented. He's got yeah. his schedule and practice is very, very important to him. I'm totally at the opposite end of the spectrum. I think rest is the biggest weapon you can have in the league. I'd be giving guys morning skates and practices off all the time. It's it's more of a mental thing than a physical. But uh, you need somebody in there to say like, hey, listen, you know, give us this day off, or you know, cut us some cut us some slack here. And you know, that comes with time, but it isn't something that you know a lot of 19, 20 year old kids you know have right out of the box. Yeah, and I think Hendricks was that go go between. If yeah. you had an issue with a coach, or you had an issue with with something. You can either go two ways. You go to the assistant coach, and the coach will go to bat for you, or you can go to the veteran in the room, and the veteran will go to bat for you. And I think two years ago, a lot of guys went to the veteran in the room, which was Matt Hendricks, and they said, "This is we have this issue, we have this problem, we have this thing. And Matt Hendricks, he'd been in the league a long time. He's well-respected around the league by everybody. He's well-respected in that room. He would, he would have no problem going up to the coaching staff and say, listen, this is what the guys think. Mm-hmm. And the coaches would listen. Like, I'm not sure... One, if people do that to Connor McDavid right now and say, hey, you got to go to the coach and tell him this, or whether McClellan takes that into advisement, but he still makes his own decision on that. Is it a matter of the right kind of veteran to have, too? Because, you know, it's not like the Oilers don't, didn't last year have the likes of Mark Letestu and Camilleri and on and on on their team, and Lucic, too. Mm-hmm. I know that he obviously tailed off and, mm-hmm. you know, suggestion that he doesn't have the same voice if he's struggling like he did last year. But is it is it a matter of having the right style of leadership in the room? I think so. I think Latesta was a was a very good leader. I think Latesta was a guy like that. He's very well spoken, very smart guy, very bright guy. Um, but I, I I'm not sure if they had the same confidence in him that they maybe did in Matt Hernick's for whatever reason. I I, I don't know why. Um, I think Camilleri had his own issues to deal with. Like he was just trying to stay on yeah. the team and trying and trying to play. And then towards the second half of the season, Lucic didn't care about other people's problems. He had his own problems to deal with. He he had one goal in his last forty six games. So I think it, it would have been tough to him to kind of take on that as well. So maybe if you can get guys that that understand that role and have been in that role and have done it before, because I'm sure Hartnell down the road has been a, a leader in, in his room and Brodzik has developed into a leader. I think he did in Minnesota and in St. Louis as well. So he's kind of played that role before. Um, yeah, but I think you're right. I think you do have to find the right mixture uh, of a guy that, one, is looking out for himself, but is also looking out for other team, other people's interests as well. Yeah, ideally, it's one of your better players, too. You want somebody in your top six forwards or top four defense, and you look at Edmonton's top six forwards, there's just not a lot of guys in that category. There's, you know people who are just new to the league and young players and there was you know there was McDavid there was Lucic there was Dreisaitl who had whatever issues those were uh last season on on defense there's Clefbaum's not really that type of a guy Larson had a whole bunch of issues that he was going through Sekiro was hurt they're just it was kind of rudderless to some extent uh you want you know I you know the prototypical guy is Messier because he's one of your top forwards and he's a confident strong and outspoken person and and sometimes you need in the room to say hey listen guys we're in practice like you know, shape it up. You know, this isn't good enough. We have to, we have to be better as a team, and it takes, it takes some confidence, and you have to be able to back it up yourself. So, you know, it's it's incumbent on McDavid to take a big step forward in that direction this year. Absolutely, to be a vocal leader. You know, we don't, we, we're not in the room. We don't see exactly what he says, but it, 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 you have to, you have to stand up and be a strong guy that says, "Hey, listen, this is my team, and this is how we're going to play, and this is how we're going to act." Yeah, you know, I'm thinking back to last year and the year before. I mean, thinking about Latestu and Hendricks, and you know, you said MVP of the playoffs, Matt Hendricks didn't play a minute. Yeah, you know, he's he's not out there contributing, and yet 
he was that important. Well, well the, the players went out of their way to, to tell us how important Mac Tanich was. Every time we'd go in their dressing room, they would yeah. bring his name up, and we didn't even play. But they would always <laughs> tell us the importance of Matt Hendricks in the, in that dressing room uh, during that playoff run, and, and that's why I think it, it became obvious to us how important it was to the team. So when when he was let go or he was allowed to leave, um, I think that was that was tough on a lot of those young those guys in that dressing room. And, and it's no good, like the, the Jets, like they had all their issues prior yeah. to that. Like they had a lot of good players for a lot of good years and just couldn't really get anything going. And suddenly, you know, it's a lot of other reasons too, right? They have an incredible depth of talent there. But, you know, he goes there and, and guess what? The Jets are suddenly this, you know, really good playoff team that uh, battles hard and, and, and sticks together. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> well, you know, and, and for all the faults and for all the criticism a guy like Sean Horkoff took mm. when he was here at Edmonton, yeah. being a seven million dollar player, he was that guy. He was that guy that was a leader. He was that guy that te- players could go to. He was that guy that kind of kept that room together. And we could always go to him. And anyone could go to him. And again, bright, smart, articulate guy. And I think he was that glue for a while there. Uh, I know he, there was a lot of pressure on him because of the contract that he signed, but he was that guy for a long, long time in that Oilers dressing room. Yeah, he cared about the team, cared about doing things right yeah. like, for all the heat that he took. You know, one topic of conversation that's been around all summer long for our podcasts, we bring him up every time, is Darnell Nurse. Um, you know, he needs to sign a contract. He's a restricted free agent. Um, I'm only bringing it up because, well, it's the one outsta- one of the outstanding things um, that hasn't been dealt with yet. Why? Why? I, I probably asked this question, but why are we waiting so long? Well, I think right now we're going to wait longer because they don't know how much money they have to spend on our defenseman. <laughs> and I think, I think right now they're. I think before they had a good idea uh, of how much money they had and how much money they were willing to spend. And I think with that, then they can say, okay, we can afford to pay Darnell Nurse. But if Darnell Nurse's agent says. We want an eight-year deal worth $7 million a year. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen right now. And I think maybe both sides have said, okay, well, let's back off then, and then let's see where we are numbers-wise when it all shakes up because now the Oilers have to get another defenseman. Now the Oilers have to mm-hmm. – whatever it is that the Oilers will say, well, here's a salary cap. This is what we spent. This is what we have to give you for this year next year. We can't afford $7 million a year for the next eight years. So we're going to have to work – within that, that frame. And I think that's what's happening right now is that they have to get all their ducks in a row before they go to nurse and say, okay, this is what we can afford to give you. And I think that's what Peter Shirley did with um, McDavid and he did with Drysell where he said, we're not signing anybody till we sign these two guys and then everything else falls into place. And to me, I think that's what they're looking at right now. And this Secker has kind of thrown a wrench into that plan. So now they have to deal with this Secret situation, I think, before nurse and nurse kind of gets keeps getting put back on the back burner. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Drysaddle didn't get signed until mid-August last year as well. It's just, it's. I don't know that it necessarily means that there's a, there there's an impasse. I just think that both sides, you know, they agree that they're going to get something done. I think they're kind of agreeing if it's going to be a bridge deal, what the ballpark is. Uh, Nurse suddenly his, you know, he has a little more leverage, a lot more leverage than he had before. Sekera got hurt, so maybe they're you know exploiting that a little bit. But you know, I. I'd be stunned if it didn't happen, like if, if we were in a holdout situation. But, uh, you know, you never know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised either if it was, you know, within, you know, uh, a week or so. You, you want to get these things wrapped up early. And there's only so much wiggle room. Like I, you know, if you're Darnell Nurse, I'm sure, uh, Darnell Nurse, I'm sure you would want the long-term security if you're the Oilers. 
uh, you you know you rather bridge it. So nurse will be saying, okay, if you're going to bridge me, then I want a decent bridge. You're mm-hmm. not going to lowball bridge me if you you're, you know either sign me to a long term or give me a, a decent bridge. So you know, but the Oilers are also in a situation where you know 500 grand is a big deal because they've overpaid a lot of other players. So it's uh, it's a sticky situation as all contract negotiations are. So you know we will wait it out, see what happens. I'm going to move you from the dressing room to the souvenir shop now. Um, the NHL Adidas announced, uh, you know, earlier this year, I believe in May, that indeed teams are going to be we're going to be bringing back third jerseys, and um, their catalog featured 19 teams. You know, like if you can envision a page with, you know, 19 different city names, and they all had question marks over them, uh, suggesting that these teams will have alternate jerseys this year. One of them is Edmonton. Um, I mean, odds are they're going to bring back the uh, previous blue jersey with the orange piping, the, the classic one, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Or do they go back to a Todd McFarlane or do something uh, crazy? Yeah, no, I, they, they're just changing jerseys every second year. It went to, you know, from they had blue and white and then it became orange and then a different shade of orange and now they're going to bring a blue back. It's just, it's it's money, right? Like you just, whatever we can do to change this jersey to, to make 15,000 people buy new ones, let's let's do it. So, I mean, more power to them. That's how sports works. You, 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 you change the jersey and people buy it and they're happy to do it if... I like the blue and the white. I'm, I was wasn't a big fan of the orange, and then you know I got a closer look, and yeah, that's that's all right too. I just uh, my favorite one ever was the when when it was the the white with the copper highlights as opposed to the to the orange. I thought that was a sharp look, and they had the dark blues, which which I did like as well. So you know, now uh, they kind of combined that now dark blue with orange, yeah, as opposed to royal. Uh, is there a difference between dark and royal? <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> I did not know that. People like at the draft, like they'll bring out a new jersey and they'll like a new sweater, and people on Twitter will be like, "Oh, look at that! Look at that! Uh, look at the changes to that sweater!" And I'm like, I, I don't notice that stuff. <laughs> I, I honestly, oh, I guess okay, that is a different sweater. I guess and I, I pay very little attention to it. I'm not a sweater guy. You know, I like the Blackhawks and the Flyers sweaters. Those are those are pretty sharp, but uh, I'm not a I'm not a big sweater guy, so. Yeah, I think we look at the model, the soccer model, I guess, and and every year they unveil a new jersey, uh, whether whatever team it is in Europe or whatever. It's subtle changes, but it's changes, and so I think it's it's a marketing thing in soccer where uh, every year you have a new kit per se, and they unveil the kit, and then thousands of people run out and, and buy the latest <laughs> the latest kit. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if the NHL sees that and maybe starts looking towards that model. I don't think they'll. The problem is, is that the NHL they don't they don't their jerseys aren't sponsored, so it's not like every year you could have a new sponsor on your jersey mm-hmm. and then pass that off as a new kit. I think there has to be subtle changes, and I think when they did this, when they got rid of that third jersey and then they brought in the Adidas contract, I think everybody knew that there was going to be a third jersey along the way. There's going to be mm-hmm. a third jersey come, maybe in a fourth jersey. You look at the Old Kings; they have four jerseys, right? So. So so now you have choices of what jersey you want to wear, yeah. when you want to wear them. <laughs> I don't think the orange worked out as well as they thought because maybe they thought, oh, with this orange, we're going to go on this long playoff run. People are going to fall in love with the orange jersey, <laughs> and it's going to be a great seller. And I think you know, make the jersey, if you're not a good team, makes you look like pylons on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people were screaming to get that blue back because, to, to me, the blue was sharp. I like yeah. the blue, and, yeah. and it looked good. And so I think they're, they're saying, well, bring that blue back. 
because we'll buy it if you if it's it's part of the jersey again. But I think this is an evolution of of you're always kind of keeping it fresh and keep in and making sure that people are buying the new jerseys. Because if you go look at those hardcore soccer fans, they have the jersey every year, the different jersey of their team, it's the same team, and there's a subtle change, but it's suddenly a new jersey. Yeah. And, and 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 you look at that, and I think the NHL may be going to that model. Uh, maybe not every year, but maybe every couple of years or every yeah. once every three years. Well, those, those soccer shirts are crazy. It's like there's nothing to it. It's a t-shirt. And they, it's a hundred bucks. Like at least the, a hockey sweater. There's some substance to it. Like yeah. it's a you know. <laughs> well, we live in Canada. Yeah, I suppose. But like warm. Well, it's it's funny because it's a hundred bucks for this year's jersey, but the following year that jersey would be twenty bucks yeah. in, in some sort of bin. Oh, well, that was the nineteen <laughs> you know two thousand seventeen version. You don't want that one. You, you want the New Year's jersey. So I think that part of that becomes part of that soccer culture is that you always want. The latest jersey, and I'm guilty of that as well. Like my, na- that I support the Chilean national team. They've changed their jerseys every year, and I have about six or seven versions of <laughs> they know new, they know all jersey. about you. They oh yes, like, we oh, need I gotta get the new jersey, and it's just, it's basically the same, except that maybe there's one line here and one line there. But I got the latest version of the jersey, and it's basically this pretty much similar to the last one I had. Where do you store all these jerseys? Do you wear one once a day? <laughs> you know, I'll wear 1995s well, this today. Yeah, that's the thing. I, yeah, I got them in a closet somewhere. So. <laughs> they must make a ton of money. Like you see, like a soccer team and a oh, yeah. the says JVC across. Like that's massive advertising yeah, like in the, the Premier League. league. Like what are they making yeah. for that? Like, oh, that's wow. millions, I think, to, to advertise. Well, it's along the lines of, of selling the rights to the name to your building. You know, it's constant. That's exposure. That's, you know, that's that's advertising at its finest. Like I think Man United is three million dollars for Chevrolet to put there, just for one year. For one for game, one, maybe for one year. I think for <laughs> that's one a year. that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's you know they get that exposure. Man yeah. United's on TV every week. Yeah, I mean you know the thing about the Oilers, it, you know of course they're probably going to go back to that royal blue. There's, it's almost a no no brainer or the blue version yeah. of the jersey that they have now. And, uh, you know, you see other teams have unveiled. There's, like, the Anaheim Ducks are using the Mighty Ducks, the original logo, mm-hmm. from when they came in the league. And the Canucks are going back to the the skate one from the Linden years, the Beret years. Yep. Phoenix, or Arizona, is going back to their original. Uh, I can't even describe what that logo looks like. But Yeah, that coyote with the hockey stick. And oh, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, it's, and it's all marketing. It has really nothing to do with anything but marketing. They think, oh, we bring these jerseys back and some yeah. people will buy them and some people won't. And I think it, it's coming. Advertising on jerseys is coming. I know yeah. they're, they're holding out as long as they can. You have advertisement on practice jerseys now. Um, and so it won't be long before you see the McDonald's M on our shoulder yeah. of the King's jersey or or something else on the shoulder of an Oilers jersey. I don't think it'll get to the extent that it is in Europe where those guys are walking billboards mm-hmm. uh, when they have advertised on the helmets on their jerseys. But you look at this league, this league is about revenue, and they're going to try and squeeze out every source of revenue they can. Yeah. Uh, and you're seeing it already in, in, in to some extent. So, yeah, it won't be long before I think advertisements, at least on the shoulder, yeah. some shoulder patch, that'll be McDonald's or whatever other company. I remember before. I remember before there was even rink board advertising. You, yeah. know, you had you'd look over in Europe and you say, "Oh, that looks terrible." It's just having all these ads on the board is ridiculous. And now, if you see a game without it, you're like, "Wow, it that's weird." weird. Yeah, yeah it looks all weird. These. and on the ice as well. Yeah. And it's not like it's it's not as bad as it is in Europe, but I think in Europe they've they've <laughs> accepted this is a business, right? Yeah. So we're going to try Let's, and make as much money as yeah. we can, painting on the circles and everywhere. Like the whole ice is covered, basically. The whole ice is just one billboard, and yeah. they've got it covered up and. In, in advertisements. 
That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.